0: Spin that damn wheel. Now, who's ready?
1: Spin it. Go for it. Can I get a whoop whoop? No, okay. okay. Whoop whoop. Oh, listen to that.
0: It's a real spinning of the wheel.
1: It's like we're crossing podcasts. <laughs>
0: public speaking.
2: Okay, so we know what we're going to talk about today. So I better start with saying hello. So, welcome to this week's episode. We're going to speak about public speaking. We have just run the Wheel of Doom, I think is who it was called. Um, of Wheel of Destiny, of a better way of doing it. And found out public speaking is our topic of choice. So today, joining me to talk about public speaking, we've got Chris Armstrong. Howdy. Simon Pryor. Hi. David Maynard. Hello. And I'm Russell Crax. Uh, so first of all, I'd like to say thank you to our sponsors. We'd be delighted to be sponsored by Saffron QN, a specialist in testing and recruitment. We provide a range of bespoke recruitment services to organisations across the UK. And if you'd like to see further details, please check out our show notes, visit uk, and just reach out to us as well. So, Chris, you are the man of the hour.
0: Yeah, well, here I am, baby. Yes. Signed, seal, delivered. I am yours. You'll notice I ruined that. So what I was thinking about was doing stuff in public is pretty damn scary and frightening and we have imposter syndrome and we have all these sorts of things we're going to talk more about why we might do those things later regarding work but can anyone think about something they did in their childhood or youth that was kind of like a public performance and share a little bit of maybe maybe some failures or successes from those moments
1: I've got one. Um, so when I was a teenager, I was in the air training Corps or the air cadets. And I remember on several occasions, I was the flight sergeant in charge of the drill commands while we're marching out on a parade. Or there was even a festival where there was like, it was in a stadium and I was part of the marching group but I was also shouting the orders and obviously and then kind of environments you have to shout quite loud and I remember losing my voice towards the end and trying to have to really screech to try and get my words out to make sure the band the the the, 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 the drill team could still hear me over top of the military band that were playing right behind us so that was an interesting experience and I learned to sort of elevate my voice to a level that could be heard and all those shouting techniques of you know, doing it from your stomach and not from your throat, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that was was an experience. And I think it's helped me.
2: I've got nothing really exciting to add, if I'm honest, because I think after doing like nativity plays, as you do as a sort of first school sort of thing, I pretty much avoided anything involving public speaking. Obviously, I had to do the presentations in front of class, which is a form of public speaking, but that was about as far as it got for me. Um, I just wasn't fond of it, didn't like it, so just didn't like being stared at everyone, really, so I kind of always avoided it. So no horror stories, just general displeasure.
3: So mine isn't really about public speaking. I mean, I did appear in some plays and stuff, but I do remember I appeared on a Christmas show as a part of a choir, so it was more of a part of a choir, really, rather as a sort of group activity. I might have mentioned it before, but I was on Nanette Newman and Friends from Salisbury Cathedral and um just recently I did actually find a clip of myself as as um yeah it was a, it was released at Christmas on Boxing Day but uh yeah would I, have I learned anything from it that I didn't perhaps you know as a 12 year old boy in the in the early 80s it was, uh, wasn't the most fashionable I would say.
0: Well, that's, that's interesting I think if we if we cast our line back to a uh episode one which by the way listeners was two years exactly from the date that we're recording now that we published it so that's a little little uh, happy birthday to us I mentioned that I was a gymnast and I did the uh, 1991 British schools national gymnastics finals uh, and didn't didn't manage to make it um, into the top 10 even but scored quite highly and for my school that was quite a big thing and so there was like a summer fair like a school fate kind of thing that we had and myself and my partner who were at the school we, we were asked to do a presentation because we'd obviously done the, the routine at the national finals and so they wanted to sort of show off how the school had these celebrated athletes as you can imagine I would be. Anyway I'd, I'd already found the national finals quite scary because I'd kind of the nerves had got to be the adrenaline and I was a bit shaky I was so much calmer at the school fate and what happened instead was even though I'd rehearsed it and practiced it loads of times and there was even less pressure now I completely disoriented myself by by missing my mark by around about 90 degrees and so I thought I will adjust myself with a handy backwards roll in a different direction. I may have caused a slight collision. And my the thing there was actually I performed better under pressure even when I was a bit shaky and scared than when I was, I'd taken the foot off the gas, if you like. But performing under pressure only works if you actually know what you're doing. Because <laughs> otherwise, I mean, I probably would crash and burn at that point as well right well i think i've embarrassed myself again so well done me let's move on to public speaking now in the context of 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 our lives we obviously do a podcast now in testing that's that's our thing but to one degree or another all of us have spoken at meetups or conferences david's even wearing a hoodie tonight listener from a conference he spoke at yesterday that's how recent this really is um so do we want to talk about maybe why the heck do we want to do this thing that probably we're all terrified about that gives us a lot of headache, a lot of admin, and a lot of work. Why do we do it? Let's do that first. Why, why, why bother?
1: I think for me, it was all about feeling like I had something of value to give back. You know, I wanted to help other people learn from either my mistakes or from my experience or from, what I'd done but when you're thinking oh I want to talk I want to do a do a a talk at a conference you're not thinking about what it will be like to stand up in front of an audience to be able to do that but I'd had the advantage that in my job at the time when I did my first conference talk I'd been going out to schools talking about internet safety and I'd spoken to school audiences of 500 to a thousand talking about how they should use their safe Facebook page or how they should set their privacy settings on this and the other. So that kind of gave me a little bit of confidence that you know if I can talk to a room full of a thousand students that are heckling me, then I can probably talk to a conference of professionals that are there to listen to top, top talks like mine. But I didn't take the nerves away. So it's it, it was all about wanting to give back, but you know, I didn't think it through fully before I did it.
3: I think for me, it's sharing a story or sharing knowledge that we've got, and that actually it reinforces the understanding that although the exact detail might be different, there are similarities in most stories that people can share. And I think personally, the best stories in terms of public speaking are those that have an element that people can learn from, you know, that they can have a takeaway or they can, they can relate to, and they can see it working in their own, in their own workplace. I would say.
2: Mine was all about trying to give back. I kind of gone to conference and some events and had the opportunity to do it, which not everyone does. I remember when I started out, I didn't have that opportunity and I wanted to learn. I wanted to share and I wanted to help others. And there wasn't anything going on where I was. So I kind of went, well, I don't like doing this, but if I don't do it, no one will. So it was kind of enough motivation to kind of get me started and the hope that I would help people and then some positive feedback along the way, keep doing it, keep doing it, and so on. It kind of grows from there.
0: My motivations have changed from when I first did it. I think when I first saw people doing it, I kind of thought, I can do that. You know, that sort of naive childish minded things, oh, I've probably got something that's really unique that no one's ever heard of or or my experiences. And and to an extent, my experiences will be unique to myself. But actually, I discovered through the process of writing an abstract or blogging or whatever that it's not just a cut and dried sort of simple idea that I can just sort of meander and talk about, which I get accused of sometimes by you guys. But actually, the, the thing that motivates me now is, is it gives me an excuse, a motivation, a reason to really deep dive into a particular subject area or something that I want to talk about, apply it to my own context, but to portray it in a way that I think is accessible. And to your point earlier, Simon, to help give back, to share my learnings, my failures, my successes with people. But to come at it with enough thought and investigation and research that it, that it actually doesn't feel like a throwaway, sort of on a whim kind of thing. Um, and, and, and there is a real motivation that I have in my work that I just want to be helpful. And if something that is from my experience can be helpful and be well articulated to somebody, just one person, then I see that as a win even though really let's be honest and we'll talk about this in a minute how much work goes into doing a talk like if we go to you David if it's all right how much prep did you have to put into to have your talk that you did yesterday
3: uh quite a few number of hours just planning the the sort of story arc and then getting the data getting the um the visuals and then also we needed you know buy-in from the client and the company as well because we we're doing a, a project so yeah so it was it was a lot of effort we we didn't underestimate the effort but because we put a lot up front because we knew we had to get through a lot of hurdles but there is i would i would one of my one of my takeaways is don't leave it to the last minute make sure that you plan ahead so that you that you give yourself enough time to actually practice But yeah there's a lot of work to, and and you shouldn't underestimate it i think
1: everybody is different with how they prep and plan for something i'm certainly one that i want to get my slides done not months in advance but a while in advance that i've got time to almost let them bed in but i will not practice i will not stand and talk for half an hour to walk through it i might flick through the slides and and look at the slide and work out what i'm going to say but I don't physically stand up and rehearse it. I will just try and look at the slides and recite in my head what I'm doing rather than actually speak it out. Because I find if I start practicing it, I end up getting into too much of a regimented what I'm going to say on each slide. And then I end up falling over myself when I do the actual real talk because I've got in my head what i meant to say. And then I slip the words up and I end up making it too formulaic for myself. So I like the free flow of every time I present, it will be slightly different. But as long as I have the slide wear together three or four weeks in advance, that gives me the time to really under- really work out on how I'm going to ad little it on the day.
3: I think there's a difference because actually, because I was presenting with another person. Yeah. Therefore, yes. we had to practice. So therefore, because one person was in charge of the slide. So therefore we needed to know sort of keywords or what they, the gist of what they were saying so that we didn't make it too different uh, each time. So I think there's a difference between whether you do it individually where you can make it on your own and and if you're doing it together yeah i think the other thing chris to pick up on what you said earlier about
1: your motivations changed from what you started with i will be quite honest that one of my motivations when i first wanted to decide to speak was i'd seen people do presentations on topics that i was passionate about and i didn't feel like they sold the story very well I didn't feel like they sold the topic very well at all. I felt I could probably do a better job of it, give it more justice than, than what I'd seen in that particular talk. And I'm not gonna go into details of what talks I'd seen, but equally at the same time, I'd seen some incredible talks on other topics and thought, wow, if I can be half as good as one of them, one that sticks out is Andy, Angie Jones's talk at UK Star, Chris, which I believe David and you as well, we were both all there for that. I think that's one of the best talks I've seen. And I remember standing there thinking, well, if my talk's anywhere near this, then is even half as good as this, then I've done well. So there was two motivational factors there of seeing other talks on topics that I was passionate about and wanting to do do my own take on it Um, and also looking up to other speakers and then thinking, well, I need to. But now I think if I see a talk that doesn't do a topic justice rather than wanting to, to do a better job, my motivation would be to try and talk to that person and say, hey, I think I can sort of help you improve that, if that makes sense.
0: But that comes from having the experience now of being able to do the talks. There is a thing, obviously, about the audience that we're doing it to. And I think one thing that we have said before is trying things out, try talking to a smaller audience, maybe a trusted audience or a smaller group. That's why meetups can be such a wonderful thing, aren't they? Do you find that... I guess in your process, we've we talked about our process being quite differently. How do you find it asking for help and for feedback about not just your slides, but also your style, your the way you, you talk? I mean, Russell gave me some great feedback from one of my talks when I was quite nervous and I might have spent a little bit too long on the about me section because that was the thing I was really not very nervous about. I could just talk about myself for ages and we'll just sort of somehow slip through this whole talk. But if I hadn't had that, you know, I wouldn't have got better. And there is a a level of sort of humbling yourself and those things. But what's what's your process look like when it comes to even preparing these things, let alone actually delivering the thing?
2: I'm often in a situation where I'm doing a talk with like two weeks, three weeks notice, which means I'm doing it on the fly and doing it just in time. And I'm tweaking it myself. Like I've almost written it within one week, but then I'm rewriting it and rewriting it and rewriting it. I don't really ever feel comfortable till it's finished. It's it's a terrible example of Agile. I should probably get some feedback on it and then use that rather than my own opinions, retweak it. But I know some of the things already I can self-analyze. I believe relatively well because I've seen lots of talks. There's too much on the slide. I'm rambling too much. I've gone off topic. It's not a good example. Things like that. I feel like I could do quite a lot of that. And if I'm honest, if I had more time, better time management i probably would try and get you three and others to kind of look through it but i also know that a deck without context these days is pointless i could share with you a deck and you wouldn't have a clue what we're going to talk about because most of the contents in my head not on the slides so you have to actually not just share decks but you have to actually have to talk through what you're going to talk about yeah it's either a dry run or it's on this i'm going to talk about this on this i'm going to talk about this i'm not organized enough (laughs) <laughs> generally speaking to kind of do that if it was for an abstract we have to submit it weeks beforehand it probably would but then I would be able to tweak it but at least be able to finesse the uh, presentation side
3: I definitely would suggest you share ideas with with people you know it, it can be just a this this is the story arc this is the you know the idea of going through it you could go through a dry run especially if you're your first time person and I think feedback is vitally important. I think that, you know, even if you don't do a Jai run, going through the slides and giving your uh, your thought processes behind the slide as to what... Because obviously when you're writing it, you know what the message is for that particular slide. So actually, if you portray the message, even if it's not word for word, you like to do it a bit more on the fly. But giving that gist of why you've included that slide there is, is as I think, as good as actually doing a dry run, if necessary. And get, getting feedback is definitely a, a good thing.
1: I, I would completely agree with with both of you, actually. I, I might not, like you say I, I won't necessarily do a dry run, but I still remember for some of my talks I've done in the last couple of years, walking you three and others through it beforehand. And I can think of one in particular, which I did um, back in 2019, where I put the ZET together and I talked to you through it, and there was three main sections to the talk. And you three all said those three sections were in the wrong order, and I couldn't see it. I thought it made perfect sense in the order it did, but actually talking it through with you three, I rearranged those sections. And actually, once we talked through it, that made perfect sense. And I could, I then felt 100% more confident with the deck I was putting together, and I actually my nerves about doing the talk had, had suppressed. Because I'd actually, you know, found that happy place of yes, I'm happy with this talk now. And that was because of, like you say, justifying why you've put slides in what order, talking through it with somebody is definitely for me more beneficial than actually standing in front of the mirror and rehearsing it.
3: Sometimes we're we're all guilty of getting sort of caught up in the detail or, or the excitement of getting the getting our story out there. And so therefore we we try and cram so much in or or as you say, we get lost in the story. And so therefore it all gets a bit sort of mixed up. And I think that's sometimes a problem with, with some speakers is that they, they're so keen to get the story out that they sort of rush it or, or do things in the wrong order or lose context because they're just so excited to share it and they haven't taken the time to talk to someone with possibly knowledge about it to ensure that their the the actual message is clear uh, in their takeaways so that it's passed passed on to other
0: people one of the things for me is the slides are pretty last minute if i'm honest with you the most important thing for my process to date And let's be fair, my process isn't perfect. And I will want to do the nice agile thing of iterating and improving on things. But, but for me, the most important thing is that I can explain to whoever I'm talking to, so right now it'd be you, you three, I have got an idea. Does this make any semblance of sense to you? Or am I talking complete rubbish? And, and and I have litmus tests, I'll, I'll throw it out to a few people. I think I used, uh, we've got a speaking channel in the test in Pierce Slack. I use that to try and help shape my abstract. And for me, I've I've always found making slides and, and doing the talk actually a lot easier than making a a, a, a bit of brevity, which is concisely giving highlights of what I want to do. And I, And I have this small part of me that doesn't want to give away the spoilers of, of the talk, which which ultimately leads to people not wanting to see the talk because they don't know what it's about because I'm so vague. And, and so if I didn't have that sort of process where I'm talking through with people about my abstract, turning my idea into something that would look good enough in a, in a submission to talk somewhere, if I don't get that, and I can't sell you guys on, a, on a, an elevator pitch, then it doesn't matter how nice this presentation and long talk I think I can do would be, because no one's ever going to ask you to do it unless you've got like a mate who says, "Hey, why don't you come up to my uh, my place to do these things?" But even still, the the big, the big you know conferences and meetups and, and such aren't going to just invite us. We aren't Angie Jones. We aren't people that are going to get invited for keynotes every week. Although some of us have been invited for keynotes, Simon. Um, it, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because the process isn't, isn't the same for, for, for any of us. And, and I guess the, the, the next thing I was kind of thinking about was it, where do you even decide you want to talk?
1: Yeah, I was, I was going to say, you know, it, it's that what, what is it that makes you want to, want to do a talk and, and, and why? I think to spin it another way is, is if someone comes along saying, I think I've got something worth talking about, how does that translate into doing a talk? How do you, How would you, you get that person on board? But I like, I, yeah, how, how, how do we get to that point? It's, it's a good question. Not really answered that. <laughs> I guess it's,
2: it's usually either driven because you want to share or driven because you, your career or something else you think will be benefited by doing something like that. It's, I guess they're probably the two main motivations most people have that you think you've got a story or someone's encouraging you to speak and share your story or you feel it's it will benefit you to share it and it could be to get over a trauma because that's mm. because the reason sometimes to share a story about yeah. a testing disaster or it could be about kind of I said trying to progress but it's it's taking that leap though isn't it going from that I want to to I will uh, and Chris mentioned it can be quite hard to get your abstracts accepted that's definitely one of the challenges, certainly trying to speak at conferences. And there's lots of conferences if you actually sort of search around. There's conferences all over the world. The pandemic has helped make conferences a lot more virtual, a lot more often. So you're not restricted because you're in UK to talking at a conference in the Philippines, often these days, because that conference could be virtual. Um, you know, I think Ministry Tests are trying to do a 24-hour event type thing, people around the world talking, and it's getting more common to do that. So it's interesting because there are different things, and the scale of them is different. Your local meetup in your local village or town could be quite small, or it could be one hundred and fifty people regularly attend that meetup because it does depend so it's it's trying to find the venue, the place, the forum that's comfortable, and often I guess it's speaking within your community, your company or something like that's probably a good place to start or within your friends. the peer group is often the smallest group you can think of. Mm you might not all work for the same company, but just talking amongst your friends about a topic that's important to you can make you realise you actually have a subject that you can share.
1: Yeah, I mean, the meetup thing was, was I, I was definitely of the mindset that I didn't want to do talks, but I wanted to sort of open a community and and start growing a meetup community locally. So I started the Aylesbury Tester Gathering at that point back in 2015. And at that point i had no intention of speaking but obviously i'd do the hosting bit i'd introduce the speakers but i wasn't really you know that bothered about doing the talk myself and even the, the first talk i ended up doing which was the a tester one i had no intention to turn that into a talk that was just a research thing that i started at the meetup with well if the universities aren't doing this you know what what skills do we need what what do we need and i used it as a brainstorming session and it and it grew. It grew its own legs. We started talking about it on every meetup for a few months. And then eventually I was like, I've got to do something more with this. And I used the, the, the conference to try and elevate the awareness. So it is sometimes to raise the awareness of a message that you've got or research you've done that you want to get wider. Sometimes it can be about a purpose. Sometimes it can be about elevating something. Sometimes it can just be about elevating yourself and, you know, increasing your personal brand, you know, maybe, maybe, but, you know, subconsciously you're looking for a new job and actually by doing conferences and talking and getting your name out there, it can help you get that contact that could be where you get your next role from the same, the same way that how, you know, raising our our name with this podcast helps Chris get a new role because,
0: you know, this is technically public speaking too, right?
2: Just our public is remote we don't get to see
1: them
0: (laughs) where where you choose to speak is quite is quite an interesting thing thing that we and I think we've, we've talked about this with with a bunch of different people before because there's a lot of things that we we believe in and we we I think for the most part the four of us kind of agree on doing things the same even though we wouldn't approach things the same were we in the same seats in different places but we kind of like if I was to say something, it'd be a little bit probably like preaching to the choir. And so and, and, and I've, I've seen a lot of sort of motivation and, and topic of people saying, how can we take these cool testing topics that we think we all agree with? And so we think it needs to get verified by getting feedback and reviews and stuff take that box. But where else can we go? What other things are there? What other events can we do these things at to, to try and better our experiences, our exposure, but also to share those things with an audience that maybe don't appreciate those things, haven't had the opportunity to learn those things, read those books, listen to those podcasts and things, where maybe those things that we think are the obvious things that everyone knows, that isn't shared. Like, it, how do we, how how do you look outside of your comfortable group where do you go how do you even break into those things i certainly haven't done that yet but i see the value in it greatly
1: i think it starts with if you have if you have a topic that you feel you can talk about or you've got you know you have starting right at the beginning there's desire to do a talk and there's also desire to to build that topic out um, that's my two puppies just coming into the room yeah so you've got an idea for a talk it really is about trying to trying to mold that into you've got something that actually people would like to hear and you're not going to know that yourself you're going to try and build something out it's having some groundwork in place and then it's really reaching out and you know we've said this about a lot of things reaching out to the community whether it be on twitter whether it be on linkedin whether it be in other areas finding online talks that you know maybe you start with a lightning talk maybe you start with a 99 second talk if it's a ministry of testing event about your topic that you feel you want to talk about grow that confidence to do public speaking on a smaller scale and then talk to people about your topic of interest about the thing that you want to share learn some tips from people maybe we can discuss a bit here if we if we have time on how you build that into a talk how you then present it and then, yeah, just just search for those call for papers that you feel are events that meet your criteria, uh, meet your ethos, you know, making sure they have the right code of conduct that you agree with, etc., cetera, etc, cetera, and finding the events that you feel comfortable talking at. And, 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 and just take a chance. It may get rejected, but ask for feedback. Try again try somewhere else Um, and eventually you'll get that chance and when you get that chance make sure you've you've done your
3: your your due diligence on your talk before you do it and and knock it out the park I would say that you can also start incredibly small you can start from a meetup you can start even with a group in your own company internally yeah internally and what you could do to to a certain extent to test your ideas is start with a lean coffee if you have your idea, use it to write it down as one of the topics. And if people vote for it, if people and it's then discussed, then it shows that people are interested in it. And then from that, to a certain extent, you can then build on uh, and also create a network of people that have an interest that you can then build up, again, that knowledge or shared knowledge, which you can then take forward. So you don't have to you know, go out of your comfort zone in order to initially start those those ideas off.
0: How about, how do you sort of deal with things like uh, imposter syndrome? The whole point of someone else could do this better than me. So why why would I go through all this thing? I'm not really cut out for that sort of thing anyway.
2: How do not deal with it? I don't. I, su- I survive it, I guess is the best way. Um, I feel that all the time, all the rest of it. I feel like generally after these talks and things, people give you things that make you feel slightly better and say good things. It's always been a positive experience versus a complete shredding experience. So it's kind of helped me that actually, maybe I can add, but I still have that complete imposter syndrome every time I talk. Someone here is going to know more than me. Someone's going to find <laughs> me out. That is every single time I get up yeah. and talk, every time.
3: What I would say is that with that imposter syndrome is when you're thinking about your talk talking to it can be just one person you know a critical friend so someone who is supporting you in doing the the public speaking or uh, doing the talk but they will give you solid advice as to how you can improve it and that will then help shape your talk but make sure make sure it's someone that's really trusted
1: I would say I mean, two ways I've dealt with it in the past and they're both kind of related is try and, you know, if hopefully get a morning slot and get, get it over and done with early, ideally, you know, as soon as possible, first thing in the morning, or make sure you, you're being distracted by plenty of other things before you do it. If you spend time sitting, pondering it for half an hour beforehand, like worst time for me to have a talk is after a break. If I've got, if I'm on directly after lunch or I'm directly after a morning break in a conference, I will not eat over the break. I will not drink over the break. I will sit around pondering whether I'm doing the right thing, whether someone's going to, like Russell said, find me out. You know, they're going to think I'm talking rubbish, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas if I can go straight into it without having time to think about it, I don't have time for the imposter syndrome to take over. And, And it's just finding ways to distract yourself out of it. And then when you're in the room... You get through your intro slide, you get through your about me slide or your twenty slides if you're Chris, and then you you go into your main content. You you kind of get into the flow and it kind of just 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 comes naturally. But it is, I, I agree, it's that that demon on your shoulder when you first walk onto the stage is is someone's going to tell me this is rubbish, someone's going to say you know everything I say is wrong.
2: I'm petrified. I'm literally incredibly stressed, sweating usually. Absolutely not in a comfortable position when I do any sort of formal public speaking. I really do not want to be there. Every part of my body is fighting to not stand up. I want to quit. I don't want to do it. I literally want to abandon it before.
1: I think in some ways the 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 uh, the pandemic and doing things virtually. I don't know about the rest of you, but I found that helped doing it online because I was in the comfort of my own own office, my own chair, my own desk setup. And I was sitting in a familiar surrounding that I sit in every day for meetings at work. And I was just on another meeting doing a presentation. And although yes, the audience was different, I, I was able to control that imposter syndrome a lot more, which you know, meant I did quite a lot of online talks and conferences during the pandemic because I just felt comfortable doing it.
0: I uh, really didn't enjoy the virtual conference uh, conferences and, and meetups and talks and stuff. Sure, we, we, I'm on calls all the time. I'm very used to seeing my horrific face back at me the entire time when I'm on calls all the time. And and the the thing that I really didn't like about either pre-recording things or even doing them live on on Zooms or other things was that you don't have that tangible feedback. Like it loops back to that sort of the imposter syndrome type thing as well like I'm saying stuff and, and I'm saying stuff now and and you you guys are nodding which means I know that <laughs> you know there's a train of thought that people are agreeing with and and that that feedback that instant feedback is so important and it's and so tangible and, and then the whole in-person side of thing versus the virtual thing I found incredibly difficult and I don't really like it if I'm honest, I think I think I'm different. I think my presentation style is different. I know that the rhythm and the personability is less there. I know that I'm less characterful, if you can imagine that. And I, you know, I'm I'm desperate to be able to see people and talk and stuff. And 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 I am terrified, wholeheartedly terrified. I've done public speaking where I've shaken so much that the stuff around me has moved away from me because I've made the ground shake. But if I'm there and I've got that sort of, the feeling of people sort of being with me and seeing me and giving me that support. When I gave a talk um, at the conference, Russell uh, organized with his friends in Newcastle, the but um, Geordie Tester said I had Russell there and, and uh, our friend uh, Sanavisa was there as well. and And people I knew, people who knew me, people who knew my story, that sort of thing there, that support, that gave me more strength in the live delivery of those things than I could have got virtually or if they weren't there, because I think that validation is required because you do certainly don't want to make a fool of yourself, (laughs) but, but also, you know, supporting people. And, And I want to conversely think about you guys. If I get the chance to be there to support you also. And I think we've got a lot of journeys of these things coming up, um, and and it's it's great when you see people pop up um, who are doing those things and I hope for more of that to happen
1: I, I agree with you there on the familiarity i mean I mean you know I'm still grateful for you the first time I did the full talk, the baptism of fire talk at uk star you introduced me and actually having someone although you don't didn't know me as well then as you do now, you know we'd made that connection already and you know you were you were keen to introduce me and in that and that that settled my nerves in some respects. And then when i did my first keynote this year i had three of my team sat in the front row i had some ex-colleagues sat you know around as well Stu day was there as well someone else that's you know part of our peer group and it just you know it 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 does make you feel more comfortable when there's people that you know respect your message respect who you are you know advocate for what you're doing and it it does make a difference definitely
3: i think that's a great time to actually finish the uh, podcast tonight uh i think that actually this has the opportunity to have another episode i think that we need to investigate a bit more especially after this season when we all have had uh details of actually talking to people in the flesh uh, and and comparing it a bit with zoom and also another topic that um we didn't have time to discuss which is something that i would be quite interested in is how best to present so things like the quality of the slides whether you actually need them or not so i think that's a really good topic that we might actually
0: touch. tune in for part two in the future listeners i
3: think there's also an abstract one as well how to create an abstract would be another Absolutely. one so that this topic will certainly be uh going on so please do li- let us know how you think that this 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 episode went what other things could we discuss what experiences have you had good and bad with public speaking and whether you whether you Again, agree with uh, what we've said about the difference between in person and Zoom uh, conferences if you've had the opportunity to do it. Thanks again to Chris, Russell, and Simon uh, for another great discussion. Uh, thank you for Saffron QA for sponsoring us again. And if you want to reach out to us, you can contact us uh, or see us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can support us on patreon.com. Uh, in all these places just look for the testing peers we are here for you and we like sharing our information with you so uh tune in next time and uh we we'll look forward to inviting you back for now
1: it's goodbye from the testing peers goodbye, goodbye.